Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and bowl season, we're in week two, and we've got a bunch of guests here to get you ready for college football postseason now here on today's show. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where we welcome Justice Mosqueda, one of the more well-respected opinions when it comes to defensive line play and scouting defensive line, and to talk through some of the top names in the trenches for this 2022 NFL draft. After that, we get into Saturday scouting, where uh, we start our look ahead to another big weekend in college football with Ben Fennel. We've got more all-star game announcements announcements to get through. We're going to talk through another mock draft. This one from Trevor Sikama over at PFF. We're going to get into all of that in Saturday scouting. Then we round out the show with Ross Tucker and pick six. We're going to preview uh, some more of these bowl games as we continue our weekly competition. As always, make sure you go check us out over on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, a mock draft, rankings you want us to break down, leave it there in the comment box. We will get to it here on an upcoming episode. Thank you so much to everybody that has gone on and get, thrown us your support over on our Apple podcast page. That said, uh, let's get this thing going. I'm excited to catch up with justice here. Let's time now for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to catch up this week with Justice Mosqueda, who does an outstanding job breaking down defensive linemen. You could find him uh, on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Uh, Justice, welcome to the show, man. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, and I'm really excited to kind of catch up with you. And you've got to be excited because uh, you have really obviously like carved out a great niche uh, in this space and evaluating defensive line play and going back to uh, the stuff you did with force players in like the mid 2010s and uh, watching all of your work uh, over the last few years, continuing to watch this now great defensive line group where you're talking about these edge guys, the guys in the interior, you've got to be juiced up for this, uh, for this defensive line class. Absolutely. And I, I feel honestly, you know, outside of the top, top guys, like, you know, when a Bosa comes out or a young comes out or something like that, um, we've had some pretty weak defensive line classes as of late. And sure. this feels like the first, you know, defensive line class where, even, you know, edge defender one, right. Is like a debate and you have an interior guy like Jordan Davis, who, you know, might be a very, very high draft pick. Um, so I'm very excited to kind of dig into the depths of this class. Cause I, I feel good about kind of uh, my handle on, on the top guys, but it's good to see like the top guys are actually like what they're reported to be as, as opposed to other seasons where it's like, I don't know, Ryan Anderson, why are you getting so much hype? And then he ends up going in the second round and then you barely see him in the NFL. Well, before we get into some of these top players and we're going to talk about Kayvon Thibodeau and, and Aiden Hutchinson, uh, the rest of these top guys, um, I want to just kind of ask you about your process and uh, Hey, you're getting ready to sit down, watch a defensive lineman for the first time. Uh, take us kind of soup to nuts here, step-by-step step, uh, through the process. Uh, how do you get started when you're getting ready to sit down and watch a D lineman? The first game, you can't take any notes in my opinion. Um, you just have to get a feel of like what that defensive structure is and, and, you know, all those things involved where, you know, you have to just burn through the tape, go through like, okay, on third downs, does he kick inside? Does he not? Like th there are certain guys like um, Derek Barnes, for example, last year, I was a pretty big fan of him. Um, he, he was a defensive end, you know, his whole career and then moved to Mike linebacker essentially. Um, but on third downs, he would kick inside on, uh, you know, as a pass rusher. That's something worth noting. And if, if you're kind of just like taking notes the entire time, you kind of lose that feel of the game and you might not realize, you know, some of those things. So 
I just like rolling the tape, you know, the first time through just to be able to get a feel. And, you know, when, when teams do adjust, right. Like if they're, they're having that guy drop back into coverage, you know, an entire game, then you have a, something to reference back to and say, Hey, you know, that's not how they played against, you know, X. Um, who, who is it? Uh, there was a pass rusher from uh, Wake Forest last class. I can't remember. Who, Carlos name. Basham. Yes. Basham. And I remember um, the way Wake Forest played Clemson because it's obviously, you know, Wake Forest talent versus Clemson was completely different than, than you basically got, you know, in any other matchup for Wake Forest, the entire other, you know, the rest of the season. Those are the kind of the things that I think like benefit you once you look at that first, you know, go through, I will say though, top things off the top are, you know, uh, get off number one thing in terms of defensive lineman period, especially edge defenders. Um, that first step is just incredibly important. If they're able to play with their hands above their eyes in terms of leverage, um, just getting the right bend in their knees and their hips, um, being able to play with, you know, o- over their toes in terms of their weight. That's another important thing. And then just noting how they win. Cause I think it's a lot less important to say like this guy wins or uh, this guy's pass rush win rate or whatever is X as opposed to this is the trait that, that leads to, you know, that production. And he has to have, you know, two of those traits. Cause if you're just a speed rusher in the NFL, there's enough ways that you could kind of take advantage of that. Now, like if, if you could just cross a guy's face, there's enough ways to take advantage of that where, where tackles will just sit inside of you. If you're a solid run defender, is that enough in today's league? Probably not. So you, you got to be able to do a couple of things. And as long as you can do, you know, two or three things, um, you, you have a pretty good shot at, at being able to be a solid contributor at the, at, uh, the NFL level. When you talk about that get off, are you most focused on the amount of ground a guy gets with that first step? Are you looking at like the timing and the snap anticipation, how wired he is uh, into the snap count? Is there one side of that ledger that you're uh, most uh, prioritizing? It's it's really just beating guys across the ball, but the snap count thing is important because not all, not every get off is kind of built the same, right? right. Um, Derek Barnett was probably a really good example of that. He was really able to manipulate that at, at Tennessee. Um, you know, they're playing in front of a hundred thousand people, uh, at at Nayland, And he was very good at being able to jump the ball, um, being able to kind of separate that from, you know, raw athleticism and being able to kind of use the context of, you know, was he snap jumping or is that just kind of his get off? I think is really important. Um, and again, that probably comes, that comes with time, right? So if, you know, if you're watching guys who are playing in, hundred thousand seat stadiums where the crowd is going nuts, you know, every play. Um, maybe you want to watch some away games and not just the home games, you know? I mean, I guess some of that is like, uh, you know, tools of the trade, like stuff that you, you know, learn as you go through the process, but all that stuff is important, man. All of it's important. No doubt. I remember, you know, talking with scouts, uh, talking about Barnett in particular. Uh, I remember talking with scouts and talking with uh, our defensive line coach uh, at the time. Love the fact that Barnett was always wired into that snap count. Just talked about uh, the savviness as you, as you kind of talked about, you know, the experience that comes with that, understanding the the verb or the visual cues that go along with trying to jump the snap. And uh, there, but there are scouts that say, yeah, but that's that's how he won. So it's a, a really kind of interesting uh, back and forth from those two worlds. And I also love the visual that you painted uh, with guys playing with their hands above their eyes. And I feel like that's a, a really good uh, way to kind of visualize for our listeners what it means to play with good leverage and good pad level, uh, both in the run game and in the pass game. I'll, I'll always say like, Hey, play low to high, but having your hands up above your eyes. I, I love that visual. 
so that's a coaching point that I use. You know, I've I've coached a couple times uh, in my career, um, and you know, when you're teaching, you know, 14 year olds how to set an edge, I mean, it's a pretty easy visual. I remember um, Trey Flowers was just amazing at that at yeah. Arkansas, and he was a guy that I never really understood why he went as low as he did, um, just because he he's not the longest dude, but he definitely is a big dude. And the fact that he was able to play with leverage the way that he he was, it was always pretty clear that he was going to be able to do two things, right? We're always talking about you you got to be able to do two things. He could stop the run, right? And he could bull rush. And a lot of that comes from just the extension that you have. Um, hand placement is so important. I know I know everyone wants to look at, you know, combine numbers and stuff like that. And I, I certainly have done that, you know, a long time in my career where, sure. you know, you can, you can kind of lean into – you know, a 40 yard dash time. If a guy runs a four, seven or better um, as a pass rusher and has somewhere around like a, a seven second cone, you know, they, they have great chance to, to uh, be, you know, a contributing pass rusher in this league, but hand placement at the end of the day still does impact a lot of things. Like if, if, if a guy is able to play with his hands above his eyes and he's able to play with, you know, a long arm, you know, one arm is always longer than two in terms of the way, you know, your shoulder is moving, you know, um, I, that that just makes such a big difference in terms of being able to contribute against NFL, you know, tackles who are just built like monsters. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a an element that I feel like we don't talk about enough, and I'm glad that you uh, kind of brought that to light. We talk about all the, all the time about the traits, and as as you've highlighted over the course of your career, uh, those traits do matter, especially off the edge, and that's like a position uh, with these edge rushers, with these defensive linemen, where those combine metrics can be so important. But uh, with all that said, let's get into some of these guys. And for me, uh, you are a, a renowned uh, Oregon Ducks fan, uh, so I feel like we have to start uh, with Kayvon Thudo. And I guess let me start this off with this question: uh, with your pronunciation. Do you go with the long th or do you go with the uh, Tom Thibodeau with the hard t uh, for, for Kayvon? I, I go Thibodeau, but if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm wrong. Um, I've been going Thibodeau, but I've caught myself a few times leaning into like the Tom Thibodeau uh, basketball coach uh, pronunciation as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I stay on the other side of that coin. Yeah, he, he's great. I mean, the moment he walked onto the field at Oregon, I mean, he, he his first year, he was kind of used more as like a third round or a, a third down rotational guy, um, more so than an every down player, but you were able to see it. I mean, he was beating grown men uh, up in the Pac-12. He's a freak athlete. Um, he definitely is a little bit more raw than we've seen some of these, you know, elite pass rushers come out. Like, I don't think he's as polished as a Bosa or, or uh, Chase Young or something like that. He's not necessarily as raw as like Rashawn Gary was coming out either. So he's kind of like in that weird middle ground where I think in some classes he wouldn't necessarily be talked about as, you know, a potential number one pick at the very least, but he certainly is a good football player. I think he'd go, you know, top five pretty much, you know, in, in a normal class for sure. So it's going to be interesting to see his development. I just, I don't know if he's going to be that impact guy year one, or if it's going to take like, you know, two years for him to like really kind of like get his cleats in the dirt. He's been so interesting too, because they've had a couple different defensive coordinators over the course of his career. And so you talked about how that usage has kind of evolved for him. Uh, what do you feel like was his most impactful role in any of the, the schemes that he's played in over the course of his career? I think he's better with his hand at the dirt. Honestly, mm -hmm. I, I think he's better coming out of a three point stance and just being able to be a true pass rusher. I know a lot of people, it, it's almost, it's like kind of slot receiver and three, four outside linebacker are the two things that are the two positions that I think 
there's a huge misconception of what they actually are in yeah. the NFL. Like everyone talks about, you know, they see a five, seven wide receiver who's 170 pounds. And they're like, that guy's going to play slot in the NFL. I'm like, that guy is going to get beat up because he has to run block every single play. Like it, everyone's playing these giant slot guys or they're playing tight ends in the slot at, at this point. Like those, those slot guys have to be able to contribute in the run game. They have to crack safeties, especially when we're getting a, you know, a too high league. Now it's the same thing for three, four outside linebackers. Everyone thinks that they're all, you know, Hey, that's a pure pass rushing position. Well, unless you're sending five every play, then one of those guys has to drop every play. So that's not that as much as that's a pass rushing position, that's also still a run defending position and a pass dropping position. So I think if you're using a guy like, uh, you know, Thibodeau, he's his best traits are all as a pass rusher. I think you want that guy's hand in the dirt. And I think you want him kind of pinning his ears back and going after the quarterback. Now that doesn't mean he can't play three, four outside linebacker. He certainly has plenty of film doing that at Oregon. And he has the athleticism. I just think that he's probably a little bit more impactful as a defensive end than a backer. And even watching him last year in 2020 in that COVID shortened season uh, where he lined up at inside as more of a, a tight four, uh, you could see uh, just his ability to kind of deal with multiple bodies, deal with extra traffic in the run game. And that really stood out to me uh, as well. And, and I think that kind of speaks to uh, that position flex that he does offer and that, you know, sometimes he was used as a stand-up player, you know, outside, and then also uh, had that ability to kick inside as well. Uh, and as we've, we're going to continue talking about with a lot of these guys, because I think a couple of these other edges uh, really kind of share that, that kind of play pro profile uh, that can be so valuable moving forward. And um, we'll get into the next guy here, Aiden Hutchinson, a guy who's uh, went back for this senior year could have come out uh, for the 2020 draft chose to go back. Uh, I had a monster season for the Michigan Wolverines now getting buzz for a potential number one pick. How do you uh, look at Hutchinson and his projection to the NFL? In terms of the top three guys that people talk about Hutchinson, I'm probably the lowest on relative to everyone else. And I understand he's a very long guy and there's certainly teams that they have demands at, at defensive end for length. Like you could look at uh, the Cincinnati Bengals basically over the last whole decade where they're just like, they, they have a Carl Lawson and they have him on the roster and they don't use him because he's not long enough, right? Like there's plenty of defensive line coaches who are going to want a long guy. And that's certainly going to push Hutchinson up the board. What I will say though, is for as, as linear explosive as he is, he does have a lot of issues kind of turning the corner. Um, and I do kind of wonder like what his three cone time is going to look like for, for the people at home wondering, like, why do they run all these drills? The three cone is really a good measurement of uh, a player's hips. Um, and very often like a guy like Derek Barnett, right. Who was able to, you know, run a great three cone time that, that showed up on, on film. Like that was kind of his, you know, calling card trait was his bend, bend around the edge. I kind of think Hutchinson is going to score low there. Um, there are certainly players who have not been super athletes as of late who have done very good at, at the NFL level. For example, Joey Bosa didn't put up crazy numbers at the combine, right? Um, Bradley Chubb put up okay numbers at the combine. I think they were more polished um, as, as pure players than, than he is. So I don't know. I, I kind of, I understand him being a first round pick for sure, but like, the, the first overall pick. I, I'm not sure if I'm seeing the same guy as other people. Interesting. Uh, it's a player that, um, you know, coming in, like I said, uh, there was 
thought that he, this was maybe a, bo- a bottom end of the first round uh, type of player. He comes back and he has that huge season. And now every mock draft pushing him further and further and further up. And just these last couple of weeks, we've started to see him number one. The player, ultimately, the talent hasn't necessarily changed. Obviously, the production uh, has changed. And I am interested to see how that uh, how that dialogue around Hutchinson evolves here over these next few months. Uh, let's get to another player in the Big Ten, and that's George Karlaftis from Purdue. Uh, what have you seen from Karlaftis? He's another guy that jumped on the scene as a true freshman and blew up the Big Ten, was dominant for them, uh, kind of banged up, dealt with COVID uh, as a sophomore, and then bounced back here in 2021 as a junior. Yeah, he was a guy that, you know, kind of our internal process when I was working with the XFL and, you know, our buddy Eric Galco, we had him super high after his freshman year. And the hope was always, you know, hopefully people don't forget about him after what he dealt with last season, right? With injury, um, with the COVID issues, like if you're not on the field, especially if, you know, you produced as a, you know, freshman at Purdue, a lot of people's eyes aren't on you. So it's great to see him kind of like vault himself back into that conversation this year. He's a freak athlete, man. I mean, I'm a huge fan of him. And I I think him and Thibodeau are the one, two in terms of pass rushers. I think he's going to test very well um, at the combine. I think you're going to hear a lot about George Karloftis, you know, throughout this process. Again, I think some of this stuff in general, in terms of, uh, you know, draft projection at this point, you know, we're talking about this on December 21st. Um, a lot of it is still, you know, kind of like media made a little bit, but I think internally the NFL has to be just slobbering all over this guy. Like I'm sure there's every defensive, uh, defensive coordinator in the league is like, we could use this guy and he could get on the field immediately for us. He uh, just from the the moment I, and I watched him, obviously I didn't, I didn't go back and study the freshman film. So this summer when I went back and watched, I went back and watched last year. And as you mentioned, he was dealing with a lot of issues. I loved his 2020 tape and I was like, I was so excited for what he could be uh, moving forward into this year as a junior. And when you talk about, um, you know, everything he brings to the table, just strength and power, uh, the athleticism to be able to win in multiple ways, the technique at the top of the rush, the competitiveness, uh, this guy can do a lot. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier, uh, the ability to win in a lot of ways, do a lot of different things. I think Carl Laftus has a lot of tools in his toolbox uh, to be able to do exactly that. I'm really happy to hear uh, that you're a big fan of his. Uh, let's wrap up the conversation though, going to the interior and uh, a player that there will be question about, does he have all of those toolbox to be able to do lots of different things for an NFL defensive line? Uh, that's Jordan Davis from Georgia. Uh, won a bunch of awards, obviously was one of the, uh, the best players on an outstanding defense here this year for Georgia. Uh, how do you project Jordan Davis moving to the NFL? I really like him as a nose tackle prospect. Um, you know, there's certain teams in the league right now that can't stop the run. I mean, look at the Los Angeles chargers risk it all for Jordan Davis because Jordan Davis would make a tremendous difference on that team. Just overall, they, they'd be able to, he, he single-handedly would be able to make them like at least an average uh, unit against the run defensively. Um, I will say, you know, a lot of people have a lot of questions about him in terms of, I guess like conditioning is, is the right way to do it. I mean, he is a very big dude. Um, he's probably like, 6'6", 350, who knows what he's going to show up at at the combine. He's actually lost weight since high school too. Georgia brought him in and he was even heavier than that, but he was able to contribute very early on, on, on a Georgia defense that, you know, is chock full of, you know, future NFL players. And at the end of the day, um, they're leaning into him a lot and conditioning issues certainly do come up. It's important being, being able to be on the field is important. The other thing I will say is, they're leaning into him in terms of so many snaps that I don't know if that kind of projects 
into the NFL, especially the way that college games are, are spent. And I guess that's kind of the benefit of being able to watch full games and not just watching cutups or something like that. You realize like how long these actual college games are and how many more snaps you're playing than, than you would, you know, in a single week, you know, then in the NFL. The other thing too, they still have this guy out on special teams. Like he's out there on like punt block and stuff like that, playing nose tackle right over the, uh, the long snapper. So he's not going to be doing a lot of the things that they're asking him to do at the college level in the NFL, just simply because they don't need a Jordan Davis to do that. And he'll be on more of a pitch count. So I think some of those issues will be mitigated right away, but I do understand the concerns. I will say though, he is a strong dude. I do not worry about him, you know, being able to at least bull rush uh, from, from a nose tackle position. And as a run defender, I mean, he, he's basically like a cinder pillar, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that he's got that a plus plus trait. It's a matter of how is that trait valued? And I think a few years ago, I think the discussion would have been more, ah, oh, let's be honest. It's a passing league or, you know, we don't, we don't, what are we going to do with Jordan Davis? And I think we're kind of poo-pooing him as a, a late day two, early day three pick. But I think that kind of to you brought up the, 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 uh, the prevalence of the two high defenses now in the NFL with teams saying, Hey, we're going to play light box. The chargers being one of those teams, Hey, we're going to play light box. We, if we have those like those a uh, five man box, a six man box, we need those guys to be able to defeat blocks and be uh, destroyers in the run game. And Jordan Davis can do that, so he might have more value for a team like that as opposed to what we've seen more traditionally the last few years. Yeah, the the answer anymore isn't just load up the box, you stop the run, and then you play the pass. Everyone now is like on RPOs. We're trying to take away the pass, incentivize the run, and then from there. You have to get be able to get guys who can, you know, get off of blocks and get, you know, running backs onto the ground. And Jordan Davis certainly is one of those guys. Yeah. I know his reduction isn't super high too, but right. again, the way Georgia plays defense wouldn't wouldn't lead to production at the nose tackle position mm. where they're playing so many tight fronts and they're just loading bodies inside. Um, it's really spilling the ball outside, and, and they're able to rally to the ball. Um, on the perimeter and just kind of wrap up guys and make tackles. Like that's kind of how their defense is designed. I remember um, another example of that would be like Daniel Hunter. It's a little bit different of a situation, mm. but Daniel Hunter at LSU didn't have a lot of production. And it's because he was making like uh, he was making tackle reads instead of ball reads. So like in terms of his get off, right. The, you know, the first trait that we talked about, he's staring straight at the offensive tackle and he's not moving until the offensive tackle moves because they have him in a run first situation. So of course that guy wouldn't be, you know, producing as a pass rusher when other guys are lining up outside the tackle and they're staring straight at the ball. And the moment the ball, you know, even moves a centimeter, they're just sprinting into the backfield. Like technique is the root of everything. So as long as you understand the technique and everything is making sense, then it's fine. Sometimes production is built or is kind of incentivized to go elsewhere, even if you are making plays. And I guess that's the benefit of watching film. Yeah, no question. And it's funny, as you're talking, I'm thinking to some of the teams the Eagles have played uh, here this year in New Orleans, a, a great run-stopping team. Tampa Bay, a great run-stopping team. Two of the better teams in terms of uh, playing with light boxes. And when you look at the, some of the PFF numbers, like you know yards uh, before contact, yards after contact, both, both teams super high in both categories, despite playing with light boxes. And it's like, okay, well, you've got some of the big bodies. You know, you look at the, the big ends that uh, New Orleans plays with. Like, obviously, you have a guy like Vita Vea inside 
side for Tampa Bay. Uh, those guys that are, can defeat blocks and not just trade one for one. We're going to, Hey, I, I'm going to take two uh, in the run game that can certainly uh, add a lot of value to what you're trying to do to, to stop both the run and the pass justice. Uh, this was awesome. Really appreciate you joining us here on the journey to the draft podcast presented by life brand. Again, go follow justice uh, on Twitter at J U M O S Q. Check out all of his work, just outstanding stuff uh, for a long, long time. Justice, thanks so much, man. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's keep this thing rolling as we welcome in Ben Fennell for some Saturday scouting. And Ben, we'll start things off uh, with our all-star game speed round. And we get through a, a handful of Shrine Bowl acceptances that uh, I find to be pretty notable. And we'll start uh, at the quarterback position, Jack Cohn from Notre Dame, Wisconsin transfer, uh, now with the Irish for his final season, heading to the Shrine Bowl down to Las Vegas. Uh, thoughts there on Jack Cohn and, and what he brings to the NFL. Yeah, he's a good-looking kid. He looks the part. He's big. He's tall, 6'4", 225. Has operated a lot of pro-style systems there between Wisconsin and Notre Dame. Just has very high-variant play with his accuracy, his decision-making, uh, his mental processing. But he looks the part. He's one of these guys that I think some quarterback coaches just can't quit. So he's going to be a guy that's going to be in the day three conversation, priority free agent, probably filling out the back end of a quarterback room. We'll be seeing him plenty in the preseason next year. And before you know it, there's an injury. These guys get thrusted in the starting lineup all the time on Sundays. So let's see if Jack Cohn has enough tools and mental tools to maybe be a backup and be a day three pick. Let's get now to uh, Baylor running back, Tristan Ebner. And this is a player that we've talked about a little bit. His teammate, Abram Smith, in that backfield, he's going to the senior bowl. Ebner, if they, they got a little bit of a, a thunder-lightning combo there. Smith, more of the downhill, big physical runner. Ebner, that space player. I've watched him the last couple of years, and uh, he, he's an interesting player because of what he can bring in the passing game. Really good screen weapon, uh, yards, after the, yards after catch out in space. Really impressive. And I think Ebner can definitely bring that dynamic to an NFL offense. Uh, let's get to Emeka Ezi. Uh, Emeka Amezi, the wide receiver from NC State. Uh, I have actually not done Amezi yet. I, I think you done, you did him over the summer. Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts here on Emeka Amezi from NC State. Yeah, he's uh, returned to NC State for his fifth uh, season there, and he is incredibly productive. Uh, over 2,000 yards in his career. He's really good hands. He has good size at 6'3", nearly 215 pounds, can work over the middle of the field. Just not a guy that wins over the top or has that explosive gear, but more of that chain mover that can you know, win on third downs, make the jump catches good in the red zone. He's a quarterback's best friend. So I could definitely see him maybe being that fourth or fifth receiver in a room and a good special teamer as well couple versatile offensive linemen we're going to hit on here. Arkansas uh, offensive tackle Myron Cunningham, really big and physical, and he's played both tackle spots. He's played he even played a little bit of guard early in his career. I actually uh, wrote down as a, as a comp for him when I did him initially, Ben, uh, Matt Pryor, former Eagles offensive lineman, who's a, a mid-day three pick uh, and is stuck in the league as one of those swing backup types. I think Cunningham uh, is, has that same kind of profile uh, in that he's a really, really big human being. And so uh, teams that value that size along the offensive line will like him. That proven versatility is definitely something that he can hang in that back pocket of his. Uh, and he's a, an interesting player at the point of attack. Blaze Andres as well from Minnesota. Uh, another guy I want to hit you on. Fun fact about Andres. He went to the same high school uh, as Trey Lance, and that's what made the uh, the decision for Minnesota to not recruit Trey Lance as a quarterback and look at him more as a linebacker even more confusing because it's like, man, like they were just in the school, just got his offensive lineman uh, and plucked him to go to the Gophers. Like they could have had a future top three pick uh, at the quarterback position and uh, obviously went elsewhere. Yeah, you know, Blaze Andrews, a really interesting player. and He's played pretty much up and down the line. He played some right tackle, 
some left guard has been holding down the right guard spot this year, just inside big Daniel Falele. Um, so he's a really interesting guy. It's experiences as well, but just going back a second to um, uh, who's the tactic to Cunningham, the, to Cunningham. He's a guy that needs to be NFL ready because he's already 24 years old. He's played a lot in the SEC. He was a Western Illinois guy initially, then decided to return again at Arkansas last year. And I think he's getting better and better, but just an older prospect that should be ready to go uh, on Sundays. Let's get to the defensive side. Big Cat Bryant from Central Florida began his career at Auburn, followed his former coach, Gus Malzahn, uh, down with the Knights. And uh, I've watched Big Big Cat Bryant for the last couple of years because obviously uh, he's kind of been on the radar and one of the you know more fun names, to be honest. And I feel like that's something that all the guys kind of pick up buzz because of that. Uh, he was playing and he, I mean, he was always kind of active. To me, I see more of a run the run defender than a pass rusher. And I think that even still, you're looking at more of like a back-end roster type. But uh, Big Cat Bryant from Central Florida uh, going to the Shrine Bowl. And really uh, quick on him, Fran. I thought he had a great year for UCF. I know hmm. he took that kind of pit stop to Tennessee there for a second yep. uh, since his four years at Auburn. But he had 47 quarterback pressures this year, a career high for him. Seven sacks, a career high as well. He plays with his hair on fire. Will chase plays out to the numbers, the sideline. Plays incredibly hard good effort he's a guy i think you just want to fill out your you know defensive end outside linebacker room he has pretty good athleticism and that he's at 65 maybe 240 245 so he can play in space he moves really well i think he's scheme versatile i'm glad he really kind of capped off his college career because there's high expectations for him for a long time you had mentioned the big nickname kind of coming out he was a high recruit never materialized at auburn but went to ucf and i thought put together a really strong year so from one former SEC defensive lineman to a current SEC defensive lineman, tell me more about Texas A&M, Texas A&M defensive tackle uh, Tyree Johnson, or defensive lineman Tyree Johnson. Uh, this is a guy that uh, is going to the Shrine Bowl. I think the big news with, with uh, obviously with Texas A&M, uh, they had to drop out of the Gator Bowl due to COVID-19 issues. I think we'll continue to see a couple of those uh, start to spark up. Rutgers uh, taking their place, so they will uh, they will take oh, nice. place now okay. uh, in, the, uh, in the Gator Bowl, but no Texas A&M, so no Tyree Johnson uh, a player that we'll keep an eye on. Obviously, a very versatile defensive front. A lot of seniors uh, on that Texas A&M defense. Guys that are going to the Senior Bowl. Guys that are going to the Shrine Bowl. Obviously, you got Demarvin Leal, a potential first-round pick, uh, entering the draft as a junior. So uh, that Texas A&M front uh, loaded with NFL talent. Let's round this out with uh, Illinois safety Kirby Joseph, a player you and I have both studied. Yeah, he's really tall, long, rangy. He's kind of a true free safety type and that he's always in the back end and that kind of post safety position and single high, some half field stuff, but runs to the alley really well and all the perimeter action. Watch his interception against Iowa, his interception against Wisconsin. Really, really impressive where he just ripped the ball away um, from the receiver once he got there, showed really good range. And then it was in his interception against Virginia, excuse me, where he just straight ripped the ball away from a receiver. So got with ball skills kind of a feisty personality really good range he's long he's active he should be one of the darlings of shrine bowl week and then uh, when i watched him i kind of i actually wrote down as a comparison uh eagle safety Kayvon wallace because he's got that same kind of build he's not super big and he's not like uh explosive or dynamic or a powerful striker like there's nothing special about him physically He's not super dynamic or a powerful striker, but I think when you look at you mentioned the ball skills. Uh, he had an interception against Purdue uh, down in the red zone where he's in the middle of the end zone, and you could just see his ability to read the quarterback's eyes, and he made a great play on the ball. And I just think that this is a guy that has that ability to play, whether it's in the deep part of the field or in underneath zone coverage. Uh, I think his ability to make plays on the football are really, really intriguing. 
He's just not a dynamic physical presence. And I think that's probably what, in my mind, probably puts him more into like that early day three range instead of getting into, uh, you know, the top 100. But I really, I did like the film uh, for Kirby Joseph. So handful of uh, players there heading to Las Vegas for the Shrine Bowl. But uh, let's uh, get into this, the, the bowl games for this weekend here, Ben. And we'll start with the Hawaii Bowl Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. So you got a Christmas Eve battle here between Memphis and Hawaii. Pick one guy who is one player that you are most excited to see here in this game on either side. Well, I feel like the low hanging fruit here is the battle of the Calvins. So you got Calvin Turner for Hawaii, Calvin Austin for Memphis. I love Calvin Austin at Memphis back to back thousand yard season, 16 yards per catch, big play threat over the top with eight catches of 50 plus the past two seasons. He's a big play guy. I'm not a huge package. He's probably just going to be that vertical over the top threat at the next level. But we know that the Sean Jackson's and KJ Hamler's and those types of guys uh, get pushed up into the draft. Calvin Austin could be that big play threat for somebody. Legit track star, I mean, not just in in high school, but also at Memphis. Uh, so this is a guy that's got legitimate speed. He's 165 pounds, soaking wet. Uh, so you know, you, you mentioned that small package that he comes with. Uh, but this is a guy that can be a dynamic athlete, and not just in a straight line. He flies out of break. So uh, an interesting player. And he, he made some good catches uh, this year, going back and watching some of the film, uh, an impressive player uh, to watch here in this game. You mentioned Calvin Turner as well, kind of the do it all uh, slot player backfield, do a lot of different things there for Hawaii. So when both teams have the ball on offense, uh, a couple of interesting dynamic playmakers to keep an eye on. Let's now go to the Camellia bowl, which is uh, Christmas day, Saturday, two 30 PM. Eastern time. Uh, who do you like here between ball state and Georgia state? Well, I'm not sure there's a more experienced player in college football than five-year starter Shamarius Gilmore for Georgia State, who's been holding down the left guard spot. That's right, for five seasons, Fran. You know when I always talk about, wow, this guy's played a lot, 3,000 snaps? He's got 4,000 snaps played, 4,165 snaps played in his college career, five-year starter, all at left guard. Shamarius Gilmore, go end your college career right in that Camellia Bowl, go get a win. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Justin Hall, the Ball State wide receiver, mm, uh, a guy that's been a, a really productive player for the for the Cardinals over the course of his career. Uh, comes in a small package, but he can win in a lot of different ways. So uh, Justin Hall, look, it's a, at the receiver class, uh, I think we were talking about it with Dane earlier this week that the, everybody's really excited about the names at the top, those first two, three rounds. And then you get to day three, and there's a lot of discussion about who are the, the quality talents there. I think Justin Hall, he's going to be in that discussion of uh, those middle to late rounds coming out of Ball State, really productive these last couple of years. Let's now get to Monday. We're going to go to the Quick Lane Bowl. Monday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern time, Western Michigan, Nevada. No Carson Strong here for this one, Ben. Who do you like here, though, Western Michigan and Nevada? Well, I'm almost glad there's no Carson Strong because it's all those other guys around Strong that have been playing really good football that need some attention on their own stage, and that's tight end Cole Turner, who, Fran, he might be the best tight end in college football. Cole Turner. He is as deadly a pass game threat as there is. He'll get after you blocking right tackle Aaron Frost. I believe he accepted an all-star game invitation. I'm blanking maybe the NFL PA bowl, if I'm not mistaken, and Romeo so, yeah. uh, out there as well. So Carson strong is obviously the quarterback. He gets a lot of the credit when the team's successful. So a lot of good talent around him as well. So Turner, Aaron Frost, Romeo dubs out there. A lot of good players on that Wolfpack offense. 
and Western Michigan they are on defense. I guess this is an interesting uh, little one-on-one matchup here. Aaron Frost and Ali Fayad, the uh, the pass rusher for Western Michigan. I know he's a guy you have studied a little bit of an undersized pass rusher off the edge for uh, for the Broncos. And this is a guy that can stand up, but play with his hand in the dirt a little bit. But uh, one of those pure high side guys just to keep an eye on here uh, for Western Michigan. Let's now get to the military bowl. Monday afternoon, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time, East Carolina against Boston College. So we got some name brands here, Ben. Uh, who do you like here in this one? <laughs> Well, I struggled to find some pirates in my uh, draft database, so I had a lot of Boston College guys to cover. You want to go Boston College offense or defense here, friend? I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you go. Well, I'll tell you what. Because uh, this one's a little bit newsworthy. Uh, Josh DeBerry, the very talented corner for BC, announced that he's going back. He is not going to enter uh, really? this draft. Really interesting. Okay, yeah, great. First team, all, first team All ACC. Uh, he is going back. It seems like uh, once Phil Jerkovich, the quarterback for Boston College, made the announcement he was going back, he started recruiting and recruiting heavy to get all, a lot of those guys to go back. So, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of those guys on the offensive side of the ball. But Josh DeBerry, the talented corner, uh, true junior for Boston College, a guy to watch here in this one. Yeah, and I guess the the relevant news off of that is Zay Flowers, the speedy receiver on the outside, said he's going back as well. So things are starting to build for that 2022 Boston College team. But they had some interesting transfers this past offseason that played really well for them. Isaiah Graham Mobley came over from Temple, kind of a thumping linebacker out there, really experienced kid. And Jaden Woodby was a five-star, played at Florida State for three, four years, up and down career. He had a really good year for Boston College this year. Started every game at strong safety. Listen, he's about six feet tall, 220 pounds. Almost looks like N'Kobe Dean playing strong safety out there. He is a thumper. He's athletic. And he may have his best football ahead of him. So Jaden Woodby, Isaiah Graham Mobley transfers that had really good years for Boston College. Glad you brought them up. Obviously, the offensive line as well for BC, Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom, the yep. two names uh, to keep an eye on, both of them going uh, to all-star games. Zion Johnson to the Senior Bowl, Alec Lindstrom going to the Shrine Bowl. Uh, let's now go to the Birmingham Bowl. That's Tuesday afternoon, 12 p.m. Eastern time, Houston and Auburn. Who do you like here, Ben? Who's, who's a player to watch? Well, I want to see Logan Hall show up. I know he's going to the Senior Bowl, um, but I want to watch him against an SEC offensive line. I'm a little bit down on Logan Hall compared to the consensus right now. So I want to see him against some higher level competition and how he performs. He looks the part. He looks like Arik Armstead. He's tall. He's long. He's high cut. He has a good first step. Just need to see better pad level and more of a pass rush plan out there. But Houston's got tons of prospects. They're a fun team for him. Yeah, Marcus Jones, talented corner. He had oh, yeah. opted out uh, of this game, so he will not participate. Hopefully, we'll see Logan Hall. Uh, on the other side of the line of scrimmage, uh, Colby Wooden, the uh, defensive tackle for Auburn. Redshirt sophomore. He is draft eligible. No word yet on he, if he's going to come out, but Colby Wooden is a uh, kind of an undersized D tackle who's been really, really disruptive this, these last couple of years. Uh, kind of one of those analytic darlings who uh, always finds his way into the backfield. Keep an eye on Colby Wooden, one of the better defensive linemen in the SEC. Let's now go to the first response Bowl. That's Tuesday afternoon, 3.15 p.m. Eastern time, Louisville and Air Force. Who do you like here, Ben? Well, one of my favorite safety tandems in college football is for this Louisville uh, defense, and that's Ken Derek Duncan, who's 6'3", 225, and Quintario Cole, who's a little bit smaller, 6'3", 190. These safeties will knock your head off, though. They are thumpers over the middle of the field. They are explosive, and they get you when they arrive at that ball carrier. So look for Duncan and Cole on the back end of Louisville. Interesting. Malik Cunningham, we're going to talk about a little bit later uh, here in the show with Ross, the dynamic quarterback there for the Cardinals. Let's get to the Holiday Bowl Tuesday afternoon, 5 p.m. Eastern time. UCLA 
NC State. So we'll see Emeka Amezi, the wide receiver that we talked about a little bit earlier. Is there another player uh, we should be keeping our eyes on here uh, in the Holiday Bowl? Yeah, UCLA offense. You got Sean Ryan at left tackle, who has massive tree trunk legs. Struggles in space a little bit in pass pro. The NFL kind of views him as a guard where I think you can protect him a little bit there. He is a people mover in the run game and keep an eye on tight end Greg Dolok out there at 6'3", 245, averaging nearly seven yards after catch per catch, 42 for, uh, excuse me, 725 in 2021. A really productive player, former receiver, kind of that move tight end, H-back guy. You just want to get the ball in his hands. Really good matchup nightmare. It's kind of a weird tight end class. Like I just mentioned before, is Cole Turner maybe one of the best ones? Greg Dola could be one of the guys to kind of be a top 10 tight end when it's all said and done. It's a tight end group. Everyone likes the class, but it's not like there's like blue chip, uh, you know, Hey, this is the, there's no Kyle Pitts, And I don't think there's like a set pecking order yet. Everybody kind of likes their, their different flavors. It's like how I feel about the safety class too. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of deep and it's interesting, but nobody's really, you know, clamoring for it at the top outside of Kyle Hamilton, obviously, but yeah, same way with the tight ends. I can list 10, 15, 20 tight ends. I really like, just don't really know the pecking order right now. Let's go to the uh, the Mike Leach Bowl, a.k.a. the Liberty Bowl, Tuesday night, 6.45 p.m. We have Texas Tech against Mississippi State. Uh, you and I both like the center for the uh, for the oh, yeah. Red Raiders, Dawson Deaton. Uh, is there anybody else uh, that you're looking at here in this game? Uh, Eric Ezekama is a good-sized receiver out there for Texas Tech. He's uh, kind of in that Emeka Eze role in 6'3", almost 220 pounds, a really strong hands. But Dawson Deaton at center is a massive center out there, and I want to see him up against – SEC defensive lineman at Mississippi State. So he's a guy that thinks like 6'5", 6'6", has played left tackle, left guard, and has really settled in to that center spot the past few years. Another another kind of interesting position group is the centers. Some people saying it's not a good center group. I'm seeing a good maybe 8, 10, 12 potentially draftable centers out there. I think it's kind of a deep center class. And Deaton is, is a tough evaluation in that offense because they don't ask him to really do anything outside of a phone booth. But I think he's got some movement skills to him. Uh, he's really strong. I mean, we, you posted the one clip uh, that we saw that uh, where he's taken on a bull rush from a defensive tackle on a runway from like, you know, four yards deep in the defensive backfield uh, and stonewalls. I, I think this is, this is a guy that's got some talent. Uh, I am exce- excited to see him in a more of a, uh, a pro style environment. So seeing him at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, will be big for him. Also, another guy to keep an eye on, Mississippi State corner, Martin Emerson, 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, not, I'm pretty sure he's playing in this game. I actually compared him to Kevin King when King was coming out uh, of Washington. Emerson has got really good zone eyes. I like his toughness and competitiveness downhill. Um, I think that from an athleticism standpoint, I think there are going to be questions there, and that might cap his ceiling, but uh, I thought he was a really good run defender, good zone player. He could finish on the ball. The production wasn't always there. I think he only had one pick entering the season, but uh, Emerson is an interesting player. But did you I think you compare him to, to Trayvon Diggs, Trayvon Diggs as well. He's uh, a big boy out there. If you're, if yeah. you're a scheme that likes big corners, I mean, he's he's the cream of the crop. All right, let's get to the last one here. Tuesday night, late one, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time, Minnesota, West Virginia, the guaranteed rate ball. Oh, this is a new one for me. <laughs> yeah, so it's going back to that Minnesota offensive line. I already touched on Blaze Andres and Daniel Falele, the right guard, right tackle. But they're kind of loaded up and down. You got John Michael Schmidt and Connor Olsen on the inside. Some interesting players on the West Virginia D-line as well. You have Dante Stills out there, brother Darius Stills went to the NFL. And Akeem Mesador is kind of a quarterback hunting edge rusher out there. So interesting matchup, Minnesota O-line and some West Virginia defensive linemen. 
All right, so a little bit of a peek into the top players we're going to be watching in these bowl games. We're going to go a little bit deeper into these next round of bowl games because the big ones start uh, next weekend. So we'll be go- going deeper into the New Year's games, the college football playoff games uh, as we get closer and closer. So next week, uh, that'll be a big topic of discussion uh, here on the pod. Let's now get to our mock draft roundup, Ben. And, th- and this week, we're going to go over to Trevor Sikama at Pro Football Focus. Uh, let's get into some of this. This is really interesting. Most surprising pick for you in the top 15 for Trevor, who does a great job over at PFF. Yeah, absolutely. Love Trevor's stuff over there. But Drake London, all the way up to eighth overall, squeezing into the top 10, going to the New York Jets. I think it's interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, Drake London, wide receiver one, you don't see very often. And I think this is a year where you're not going to see any skill players outside of quarterback in the top 10. So that's running back, tight end, receiver. I'm not sure there's any that warrant a top 10 selection in combination with the team selecting in the top 10. So Drake London, that's a little high for my liking. And I think the Jets have some needs elsewhere to maybe go after. But uh, Drake London is going to be one of the more contentious and divisive prospects for the next couple of months. I'm going to stay in the top eight with you. Uh, we talked about David Ojabo last week at number 10. He, I think he was an Eagles pick for the mock we did last week. And we were like, oh, that's that's the highest I've seen David Ojabo. Well, uh, uh, Trevor uh, one up to that one. I believe that was Todd McShay's mock draft we did last week. Uh, he has David Ojabo number six overall to the New York Giants. That would be, that would be a, uh, a really interesting selection. Just uh, Again, just a one-year sample. Uh, obviously, the production is definitely there for David Ojabo, but uh, that would definitely be a surprise to, to see him go that high. Uh, so Alfred side of the top 10. Now we'll go into uh, these Eagles picks. We'll, we'll hit on the first of three 10th overall. Trevor's got the Philadelphia Eagles selecting safety, Kyle Hamilton. Uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts here on this one here, Ben, but uh, here's the blurb here from Trevor. It's a shame we didn't get a full season of Kyle Hamilton this season. The versatile and almost alien, like six foot three, 220 pound defensive back is the latest and greatest in the line of a sick safety nickel defender box player hybrid, his size and his speed make him a unique chess piece for various defenses. The best part is that unlike some who came before him, he's more impactful as a deep safety than most who try and carry that positionless DB tag. So uh, Ben, we're seeing Kyle Hamilton start to get a little bit lower in mock drafts. Obviously, you know, there's some recency bias there in terms of the guy hasn't played since I think late October. Um, but the same thing happened with Derwin James right? entering the year. I think everybody would say like, yeah, Kyle Hamilton's a top five player in this class. Just like everyone said, you know, Derwin James, a top three, top five player. When he came out a few years back, he ended up falling into the late teens. I kind of wonder if we're going to see that here a little bit with Kyle Hamilton. Well, it seems like a lot of the more premier trench players are getting pushed up the tackles, the pass rushers, and at the expense of guys like Kyle Hamilton and probably some of the receivers falling into the teens. Is Jamison Williams a top 10 caliber player? Yes. But because of the other positional depth and the uh, the emphasis on those positions, some really good players are going to fall to the you know 10 to 20 range. So that could be a Kyle Hamilton that I think the Eagles would be more than happy to sprint up to the podium to go take a Kyle Hamilton and plug him on the back end of the defense. But I don't think it's necessarily a knock on Hamilton. It's just more the emphasis and priority on the other positions primarily uh, in the trenches. Uh, let's get to the next one here. 14th overall. This is the pick that comes over from Miami center. Tyler Linderbaum, Ben, a, a personal favorite of both you and I. Uh, here's the blurb from Trevor. Not only was Linderbaum named PFF's top center this season, but he was also named the top offensive lineman overall. He was a top three graded interior offensive lineman in PFF 
last season. This year, he was number one. Pass blocking and run blocking have been top class for two straight seasons. The Iowa star also brings a wrestling background to his skill set, which was pointed out for guys like Creed Humphrey and Tristan Wirfs. And Linderbaum even beat Wirfs in wrestling back in high school. Interior offensive linemen don't often get drafted high, but Linderbaum could very well be a top 15 guy. So, Ben, let me ask you this question when it comes to Linderbaum. And obviously, I think you're seeing a lot of mock drafts will have Linderbaum go to the Eagles because of Jason Kelsey being up there a little bit. Do you view him as kind of a apples to apples comparison to a Jason Kelsey from a skill set standpoint? No, not at all. Actually, I think Jason Kelsey is a unicorn and it's very, very tough to compare him to anybody. He is literally a middle linebacker playing center. He is that quick, that athletic, that freakish in some of the things he can do. Now, Tyler Linderbaum's a good player but he's good in different areas. He's more of a true people mover. He has more of that brute strength. He has better size to him. than Kelsey is a little unconventionally undersized, but it works for him in other areas. But Linderbaum's a good player. And it's just kind of taking a step back and saying, when you're here and you're preparing for the future, is Linderbaum a good player? Yes, he's going to be a good fit for any team. But with Sayamalu on the roster and Landon Dickerson on the roster and Herbig on the roster and a lot of other center options behind Kelsey, is it worth going and getting a, a Tyler Linderbaum with the 14th overall pick? I think it's going to be a fun debate. It is a fun debate. I mean, the Eagles just ran for 200 yards uh, against a pretty good run defense with guard number five and guard number six uh, on the depth track right. coming into the year. I think that kind of speaks to. Uh, and really quick, team. Fran, just taking a step back here, we're breaking down the three Eagles picks, 10th overall, 14th, 23rd. I feel like last month we were, we had three picks in the top 10. Yeah. <laughs> Would this be kind of a disappointing haul to see three picks, you know, I mean, in, the, I mean, in look, the middle of the first round, three picks in the first round or three picks in the first round. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like our, our three picks uh, better in the top 10 than they are in the top 25. Sure. Um, but I think when you look at, uh, you know, obviously the way the Colts have turned things around, the way the dolphins have turned things around, they've really lucked out from an injury standpoint as well. Uh, you know, with some of the quarterbacks uh, that they have faced Miami. So uh, we'll see if they can keep things rolling. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me and, it's funny because obviously you and I both know the, the narrative that's happening with this draft class, right? Oh, there's not a lot. It's not a great draft. There's not a lot of top heavy talent. The quarterback class isn't good. There's still going to be like three or four quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Right. But I think when you talk about the draft overall, you know how I feel. There are good players in every draft. You got to go find them, but there are good players in every draft. Maybe it's not always the sexiest positions, but uh, I'm perfectly, you get three first round picks any year, uh, you're going to get some good players. And so uh, I think that's kind of where this, this Eagles. And sometimes they're not always that obvious. So yeah. there's good players as well. Maybe they're just not that, you know, right in your face. Oh, he's a lock, no doubt about it type of player. Sometimes it takes a little extra work. Yeah, I mean, that 2013 class, you go back and look, and it's like, oh, man, like, that wasn't a good group. It wasn't a good group. Well, the Eagles got Lane Johnson out of the top five in that group. You know what I mean? Like, he's, been, uh, he's an all-pro tackle. So, I, I do you have uh, – there are good players available uh, everywhere you look. Let's go now to uh, the Eagles' third pick, uh, 23rd overall. This is a player that I think is going to get mocked to the Eagles a lot. Uh, we saw it last week in Todd McShay's mock. We see it now. Linebacker Devin Lloyd from Utah. Here's the blurb from Trevor. Devin Lloyd has been a rely has been reliable as a run defender for two straight years. He recorded a st- – he recorded a 72.0 uh, run defense grade as a true sophomore in his first season as a full-time starter and an 86.3 run D grade last year. This season, he's rounded his game by taking a leap in coverage. Uh, his 90.0 coverage grade was the seventh highest amongst all linebackers in the FBS. The Eagles rarely draft linebackers this early, but 
as the third of three first round picks, they could make an exception. So Ben, uh, you and I have talked about Devin Lloyd a lot. I don't know that we need to like, dive too deep in here, but I do think it's going to be one of the more chic picks for the Eagles uh, amongst these three uh, first round selections. Yeah, I think that would be a steal. A guy that I have no problem saying is linebacker one that I would have no problem taking at 14. I would have no problem taking Devin Lloyd at 10 to be honest with you. So if you get him to 23rd overall, I think that's great value. Got to check every box you need for an off-ball linebacker, even a Sam linebacker that does play on the ball. Um, He's a really impressive player. And you know what? Maybe it's not in their MO to draft a linebacker early until it isn't. And, you know, that's what they said for a long time about receivers and things like that until it isn't. So Alabama players, all oh, the Eagles don't draft Alabama players. And then they took the two with their first two picks. Uh, yeah, year, right? Until it's true until it's not. So right. next year's always that opportunity to change the narrative, change the trends, change, change your, uh, your drafting style. So new opportunity ahead. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get to our last question here about this mock draft. Uh, and look, we know, we know that the holidays are here, uh, Christmas, uh, for those that are celebrating on Saturday, uh, happy holidays to everybody out there, uh, here that is listening to this podcast at this point here in the show. But, uh, what is the goal when you get these gifts, right? You're trying to get stuff outside of the box. So my question for you, Ben, most outside the box pick outside of the top 15 here in this mock draft, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the top 15, top 20. Uh, is there one outside of that group that really stood out to you that you felt was the most outside the box selection? Yeah, because every Christmas you always have that family member that's reaching, you know, they're just trying to do a little too much. They took that one thought you said at 4th of July and you're just doing too much with the gift and you're going too hard. Same thing with the New England Patriots. I think they're reaching a little bit here, getting Max Mitchell at a Louisiana tackle in the first round. I think that's a little bit early for him. I see some other offensive linemen that I think would I would take above him. So Belichick and I know Nick Casario has moved on, but whoever's running the show out there in that front office, um, just reaching a little bit. You know, stay stay with what you know out there. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go with the wide receiver position. 24 overall, the Detroit Lions taking wide receiver George Pickens, who just came back a couple weeks ago, a couple games ago, and he's playing kind of spot duty uh, as the wide receiver outside the numbers for Georgia. Uh, obviously, they've been a run-heavy team this year. They had a number, of, they had a lot of attrition at the wide receiver position uh, this offseason. Pickens tore his ACL back in the spring. Uh, him going in the top 25, uh, just coming off that injury with very limited tape here from this year, I think that would be really surprising. Um, so him going to the Lions there. Uh, it could be, could be okay. If you're an organization like the Lions, where you're clearly in a rebuild, right? Uh, those are the kind of swings you do take. Uh, you can, hey, potential uh, A plus player. There, you see comparisons for Pickens to like an AJ Green. Uh, obviously, Green coming out of Georgia as well. So maybe, you, hey, well, this is a guy we wouldn't have gotten at 24 overall if he was healthy. And that's the argument you would make there. But uh, him going that high would be surprising to me. And really quick, before we put Pickens to bed, I. I think he's actually one of the more polarizing players in this class. I agree. Uh, Obviously the injury mixed in there. um, Obviously some extra elements in there with his personality, some off field stuff, even some on field stuff like getting ejected from games and things like that. in the fight last year against Georgia tech, but he is a really impressive receiver that has, I don't want to say torched, but has been very successful and productive against sec press cornerbacks. Uh, no problem as a pretty young freshman, sophomore receiver. So George Pickens, the injury, some other things to consider, but he's a really, really good prospect. The last combine we went to in person, so 2020, just before COVID hit, uh, he was coming off his freshman season, talked with a bunch of Georgia Bulldogs that year. They had a bunch of guys going in on both sides of the ball and was just asking about Pickens because Pickens had that great freshman season. Mm-hmm. And they were all like, this guy 
catches everything. Everything is so easy. And everything that he did in games, he did more of that in practice. He was putting out daily practice highlights, like just uh, every single day, just plucking balls off DB's heads. It was just uh, outstanding. So uh, this is a guy that impressed from day one. Uh, the injury, obviously, a little bit of a setback here for a team that's competing for a national title here in a couple of weeks. But uh, George Pickett's a really intriguing player. And I agree with you. I think uh, definitely a polarizing figure going into this draft process. If he decides to enter, he might decide to go back uh, for that senior season. So, yeah, that's true. That is yeah, true. Yep. Well, something to watch. Uh, well, Ben, uh, good stuff as always. We'll be back with you recapping uh, this weekend in college football. Uh, myself, you, Dane, will be back next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, time to round out the show here with Pick 6 as we start previewing uh, some more of these bowl games coming up this weekend. I welcome in my buddy, Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, you picked up one more game on me this week. You now have a nine-point lead after a couple of those four-point upsets uh, over these last few weeks. So you've got a nine-point lead going into week two of bowl games. you got to feel uh, pretty good about yourself. I do. Yeah, but I don't know. You're the one that set this whole thing up. So who knows what your crazy uh, scoring system might be moving forward. That makes me, it gives me a little bit of pause, a little bit nervous about how you might, you know, this will be a seven point game. This will be a 10 point. I don't know what's going to happen in the college football playoff, but yes, I do like being, uh, being ahead of you right now. I'll, I'll, you know me, I'm always going to be a straight shooter. Uh, well, but that said, I'm going to try and see if I can come back here uh, this week. And we're going to start things off with our first pick. And we're going to go to UCLA, NC State, cross-country battle here. Interesting to see uh, who you like here. Who do you like straight up? UCLA, North Carolina State. I like NC State. Uh, I think that they're the more talented team. I think that they're the tougher team. And I'm on a Eagles-related podcast, so I'm probably not going to take Chip Kelly and uh, UCLA. <laughs> I like it. Well, to me, I look at this game as, as really interesting. You know, NC State had, had a couple of really impressive wins uh, this year. They obviously had a, a really strong season in the ACC. Didn't win the win the division, but came very, very close. And, uh, you know, they went on the road and beat Boston College. I believe you picked BC uh, in that one. Um, they've had some, some really good wins uh, here this year. UCLA. They've had some good wins as well, but they've been a little bit more of a roller coaster. Uh, this game predicted to be very, very close. I'm going to go UCLA here. Uh, I'm going to say that they've got that extra week of prep. Uh, obviously, NC State has the same as well, but uh, I will take Chip Kelly, that offense. It seems like they're going to have a bunch of players back uh, going back from uh, for next year and try and bring that band back together. I will go with the Bruins here over the Wolfpack. Let's get to our next one here. We're going to go in a battle of an AAC team in Houston going up against Auburn from the SEC. Uh, Ross, what do you like here? Houston, Auburn. I like Houston. Um now, I'm a little bit concerned. I saw where Marcus Jones, their outstanding returner and corner, is not going to play in the game. He's yep. kind of their guy, so that bothers me. But I still think that this game, you know, we say it all the time. It just seems like this game will be more important to Houston than it will be to Auburn in this type of a bowl game. Uh, and Houston still got a bunch of really talented kids. So I could have gone either way after the Jones news, but I'll stick with Houston. Yeah. And obviously look, Auburn has a little bit of turnover here. Bo Nix entering the portal. He ended up at Oregon. So, uh, you know, they've got some stuff going on. Brian Harson, uh, in year going into his second year now, uh, as the head coach, this was his first season. And so I think this is going to be a huge, uh, opportunity for him and for that staff to evaluate some of the young talent on that team. And they certainly have 
talent on both sides of the football. I'm going to take Auburn here. Uh, you mentioned um, no Marcus Jones for Houston. We'll see what happens with Logan Hall, if he's going to participate or not. Uh, the Houston has been really proficient on offense this year, but they also haven't seen really a defense uh, outside of Cincinnati. They haven't seen a defense like Auburn this year either. So I will take the Auburn Tigers. So I think for the first time this year, you and I are on separate sides for both pickums uh, here in this edition of pick six. Let's now transition to our over under where Ross, I went with a very high number for your boy, Louisville quarterback, Malik Cunningham, one of the more dynamic quarterbacks at the uh, in the country, just a, a ridiculous athlete. Louisville's taken on air force four and a half is my number for total touchdowns here from Malik Cunningham going up against air force. Who do you like here over under? Oh, I like the under Ooh. Uh, Louisville's just not going to not going to get enough possessions. I mean, air air force going to run the rock possess the ball. That's a lot of touchdowns, a lot of touchdowns to score against air force from one guy. He needs five touchdowns under dude. He's done it like three or four of the last, uh, last three or four games. Like he's done consistently. I think the, uh, the, he had seven, he had five, he had four, he had six. I mean, he's, uh, whether he's been running the football or throwing it, he has been very, very active, very often uh, in the end zone. I'm going to take the over here. Uh, I, you know, when you have, uh, when you're preparing for one of the service academies, you have that extra week of prep uh, to your point. I think that Louisville defense is going to come out firing. Uh, it's going to be tough for for Air Force to be able to move the football. I like uh, Cunningham to put up a lot of points here in this one. I will take the over as we go separate here on our third straight uh, battle here. Let's now go to our next one, either or. And this was going to compare a couple of star receivers here for their respective teams. We've got Boston College taking on ECU. Boston College has one of the more dynamic playmakers in the ACC in BC wide receiver Zay Flowers. This is a guy that can line up inside, outside. He could be a big play threat uh, down the field or also in the screen game, yards after catch, get him the ball fast and let him do work. Or we look at Ball State wide receiver Justin Hall, who undersized, but also has that ability to go up and over people as well. He's done that throughout the course of his career. He's been a very, very good at the catch point. They take on Georgia State. So, Ross, this weekend, who has more catches, Zay Flowers or Justin Hall? And you're going catches, not touches. Just catches, catches only. I'll still say Justin Hall hmm. uh, because when they do that little thing where they shovel it to him yes. or they just throw him the wide receiver screen, if it was touches, I would love Justin Hall, but catches, I just like him. Yeah, I like I like Justin Hall here as well. Um, you know, I was interested to see if you would take Zay John. I think just I think Zay Flowers is the better player, um, but Justin Hall is just such a focal point of that offense. So I will go Justin Hall here uh, with this one. Let's compare a couple other receivers here. Uh, we're going to go with our high low, and this one is going to be a little different. This one's going to focus in on touches. And we're going to look out west here, Hawaii and Nevada. We've got Hawaii wide receiver Calvin Turner, uh, who has been a kind of a do everything weapon for them uh, out West at Hawaii, but also, I mean, started his career uh, as a quarterback. So this is a guy that can do everything uh, offensively going up against the, the Nevada wide receiver, Romeo dubs, who uh, look, no Carson strong uh, in this game, but dubs, I believe is still playing as of this recording. So uh, who has more touches Turner or dubs? I'll go Turner. Um, you know, Carson strong, definitely not playing in the game, which I think hurts Romeo dubs. Yep. Whereas I really think Calvin Turner is the guy for Hawaii, uh, probably his last game there. So I think they're going to feed him. So I'll go Turner. 
I like it. I'm actually going to go uh, with Turner as well. I think that he is such a big part of this offense. He's going to the East West Shrine Bowl. Uh, last opportunity to prove it for the Warriors out there. Uh, I will go with Calvin Turner. Let's now get to our upsets here. Also, one of the upsets you might be considering Nevada. I talked about uh, over Western Michigan, Hawaii taking on Memphis. We've got Texas Tech and Mississippi State. Uh, which upset do you like here this week? Thought about all of them, but I'm going to go Hawaii. Um, I'm going to go Hawaii, even though Memphis is the better team. Yeah. Because I'm I'm thinking that Memphis, maybe they're just enjoying Hawaii. They're enjoying being out there. Uh, maybe they're not as focused as Hawaii kids who are out there all the time. That's my logic. <laughs> I do like that. That's not bad. Uh, and I think that's obviously a little bit of a distraction. And that's the thing is that when you look at a couple of these other teams, I mean, Nevada, uh, they lose their coach. They lose their quarterback. Texas Tech, they're having some coaching turnover as well. I think I'm going to go Texas tech and I, it's kind of the, uh, you get the Mike Leach ball. You hit taking on his former team, uh, Mississippi state with Texas tech. I will take uh, the red Raiders here. Um, they're, they're going to have some turnover on the offensive staff. We'll go Texas tech though. Uh, I, I like their chances here going up against Hawaii. I'm going to need one of these upsets here uh, this week, next week to be able to hit, uh, give me Texas tech here in this battle. Ross, uh, good stuff as always. Best of luck to you. We'll see if I can uh, make up some ground on you this weekend. Sounds good, man. Yeah, I consider Texas Tech as well. I kind of went back and forth, but I, 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 I'll, I'll go with Hawaii. But yeah, I think that's a pretty good one too. Great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, Ben Fennel, and Justice Mosqueda. Like I said earlier in the show, happy holidays to everybody out there listening to the show. Thanks so much for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That said, we'll be back early next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.